Welcome to the Medical Receptionist Network podcast show. I'm your host, Siobhan Atkins. Join us as we discuss the importance of clerical and administrative roles and their impact on the healthcare industry. Hello, welcome to the Medical Receptionist Network podcast. This is your host, Siobhan Atkins. Welcome to episode 16. Let's get started. So today I figured we'd cover a couple of different topics. You know, I hope everyone's doing well. It's now June. We are coming into the summer of 2021. We've had an interesting past 18 months or so. So I know things are changing. Hopefully everyone is settling in to prepare to enjoy their summer and their opening of areas in their in their hometowns or, you know, wherever you live. Hopefully everyone is back at work or, you know, have been having success in the job market in healthcare, as well as being able to make sure that your family is safe and secure and healthy. So I wanted to come in with a new podcast episode for the Medical Receptionist Network. Now today we're going to start with some changes uh, that have taken place recently in healthcare as related to health insurance. And more so, not the actual plans themselves, but the cost of said plans. So the American Rescue Act, which was part of the COVID-19 relief bill, applied some subsidies for marketplace plans. And those subsidies are going to be active for 2021 and 2022. So you may see this affects yourself, your family, or some of your patients. And basically, according to this article from NBC News, What it states is the enhanced premium subsidies for marketplace plans, which will affect the years 2021 and 2022, they will benefit just about everyone who has coverage through the Affordable Care Act's marketplaces. Premium costs for people eligible for subsidies will shrink by $50 per month on average, according to the federal government, but some people will see much larger savings. Under the ACA, people with incomes between 100% and 400% of the federal poverty level, which is between $12,760 to $51,040 for one person, or $26,200 to $104,800 for a family of four, were eligible for premium tax credits to reduce their premiums for marketplace coverage. So hopefully you are able to take advantage of some of that savings if you have a marketplace plan. Or maybe you'll see your patients having lower premiums and perhaps they'll be able to better afford some of the services that they need. And this doesn't only affect folks with the um, marketplace plans. Um, it also affects those who are on unemployment. So those who, of you or you know people you may know for the year of 2021, I believe it's good until September. I'm not sure if this will cover the whole year but they're able to apply for insurance through the marketplace and uh, they should be able to take advantage of having access to insurance benefits. The other subsidy that the American Rescue Plan Act will benefit are those who have a COBRA. So from April to September of 2021, there are subsidies to cover 100% of COBRA premiums This benefits people who lost their employer-sponsored coverage and want to stay on that plan. So normally, uh, when people get laid off their employer coverage, they can opt to keep it for 18 months, but they have to pay the entire premium plus a 2% administration fee. And, you know, that is done under the laws of COBRA, which are already in place. So the newly enacted enhanced 
premium tax credits and free marketplace coverage for people who collect unemployment insurance make marketplace coverage more affordable than in the past for those who are going to be taking out for COBRA. It also states in this article that people who missed the original 60-day enrollment window for keeping their job-based coverage can go back and enroll in COBRA now. You have 60 days to enroll after they're notified of the new provisions under the COVID relief plan. They will not owe premiums back to their original eligibility date, but any medical claims they incurred before their enrollment will not be covered. So, you know, hopefully that information is helpful to some of you, whether you're unemployed, working, or your family has uh, marketplace coverage. So you may see subsidies rolling in. If you receive any emails from healthcare, you know, or the .gov related to that, make sure you are opening them and reading them and logging into your account. Most people do have an online account as it pertains to their coverages that they may have obtained through their state. So I just wanted to share that information because that act was passed, I believe, in March. So those changes are happening now. So now the other thing I wanted to discuss is the amount of patients that had to basically skip out on care or delay care just due to what was going on during the last year and a half. So there was a study by the American Medical Association where they surveyed people to see why they did not receive medical care. And mostly for obvious reasons, most of them more than half feared COVID-19 exposure. A small percent blamed financial repercussions of the pandemic and the largest uh, percent during this time, which was primarily during 2020, was that their medical practice had temporarily closed or permanently closed. So now... As the researchers started to examine between March and July of 2020, they found that among their over 1,000 respondents, 29% missed a preventative care visit. So most of your practices do offer some form of preventative care, especially if you're internal medicine, family care, geriatric medicine, obstetrics. There is some uh, pediatrics. There is some sort of preventative care visit that all patients should have generally yearly or, or every two years. And that is the population that your office is going to want to make sure you don't lose as a result of that pandemic. So one of the things, you know, especially at the front desk, you know, is to, when you're answering calls, make sure you're, you're looking into patients' uh, last visits and, you know, they might be calling for a refill. But if you notice that they haven't been there in a while, you know, make sure that you are offering them to come in for their preventative and well visits. Uh, just to make sure that you keep your population coming back, especially now that things are opening up, the numbers are getting better and it's becoming more safer for people to return to their normal activities. And so that was about 29% of the people that were studied. 26% missed on outpatient and general medical appointments. So that could have been, I guess, anything, you know, that wasn't preventative care. And again, you know, that could be a follow-up to a problem that could be maybe needing to have something minor worked on or looked at. So, you know, those people hopefully will start coming back on their own because they have an actual issue or something that really required physician or medical care. And then 8% missed one or more doses of prescription medicine typically picked up from a retail pharmacy. Now that's, you know, that's unfortunate. It seems like a small amount, but depending on what type of medications these patients were missing, 
could have quite an impact on your patient population. So we also, as administrative staff, you want to make sure that when you take messages and when you're speaking to your patients that come in, that uh, you're obtaining any information related to that, that your provider may benefit from knowing if, especially if the person is not coming in for an actual visit. So, and maybe they need one to, to get those refills and prescriptions updated. And, you know, or even if it's not your responsibility that you're getting that message over to your clinical staff so that they can properly follow up with those patients. And 8% missed out on outpatient mental health appointments. I thought that was pretty low. I thought that number would be higher. I guess the those requiring mental health were able to keep up with their care that they, they were receiving. I'm sure telehealth and, and, and televisits helped to contribute to how those patients were able to be followed up on. But again, that 8%, if they weren't receiving their mental health, how were they being supported? What were they doing to help themselves? Did they have support system? Uh, did they go in a negative direction? You know, so if you work in the behavioral health area, obviously you guys want to make sure you're keeping up with those patients and getting those appointments in and getting those people seen, whether it's an outpatient or with your telemedicine, if you moved into that space, you know, in any other group settings, whatever your your practice or your facility offers, you want to make sure that you're now following up with those that have not made it back uh, since the start of the pandemic. 6% of people missed elective surgeries. So it's a small percent, but still imagine all the people that had to reschedule uh, surgery all, you know, kind of coming back at one time and now you're overbooking or you have to now they have to wait even longer because the schedules are booked. So that's something that a lot of healthcare organizations are dealing with at this time. And unfortunately, when you look at all of these reasons, you have to also consider the amount of people that lost work during this time. So as we were talking about medical insurance, now you're having to deal with people who didn't have things done, didn't have visits, and now perhaps they don't have insurance or they're not able to obtain insurance or they can't cover their deductibles at this time or whatever the case may be. So hopefully, you know, people are taking advantage of the different subsidies that are coming along so that they can can continue their care. And also from the medical office standpoint, you have to make sure that you're checking your eligibility, making sure patients are giving you their updated paperwork. A lot of offices had to switch their check-in process. So I'm sure plenty of updates had been missed. So you just want to make sure that you're checking the eligibility, getting the updated card, making copies, making calls to the insurance company, whatever you need to do to get the right information that your office needs to run properly. And also so that you're giving the patient accurate information related to their co-pays, deductibles, out-of-pocket uh, fees, and, and things of that nature. So make sure, you know, we're following up. And even for yourself, make sure that you've had your visits, that everyone in, you know, your family has had their follow-ups and their well visits because you don't want to get too far behind. If you need lab work and things like that, make sure you're taking care of yourself and getting those things taken care of. So we have to uh, always touch on customer service topic. So I was just thinking about how can we sometimes self-monitor our ability to provide good customer service, right? How can we receive the best benefit from, not the best benefit, but the best response from the patients that we're interacting with on a daily basis. So one thing I was thinking, you know, you could even maybe for a whole day, everyone who comes in, you know, when you speak to them, that you provide eye contact, you give them a greeting and you ask, how may you help them? And all of that with keeping eye contact. 
And do that with every person you come in contact that day, no matter what you have to look away from and try to see if you have better communication with your patients, your colleagues, you know, any associates that day. And just see if that heightens, you know, the customer service for that day, if it increases how much information your patients give you so that you can help them better, if it speeds up the process of registration or anything of that nature because you're directly connecting with them and you're making sure that they know that you're acknowledging and paying attention to them. That may make a difference. So little things like that you can try, you know, you can say, oh, well, you know what, today was a a little bit better than the rest of the week because I made an intentional decision to make eye contact with everyone who walked in to provide that good morning, good afternoon greeting, and how may I help you, like asking a specific question. And also, you can do that even over the phone, you know, and doing it with a smile because it's always sounds so corny, but that really does change how you sound. If you smile and you say, hi, doctor's office, Siobhan speaking, how may I help you versus hi, doctor's office, Siobhan speaking. It's just that small change can make a difference on how you receive responses from those on the other end and how, you know, you continue on with that conversation. So just doing some of that self-monitoring of yourself and, you know, how often are you being super attentive to your patients and their requests? And, you know, are you giving them your undivided attention? I understand it's not always something that can be done. Sometimes you're moving really quickly. You just need to, you know, direct people and get information. But sometimes it's truly only a few additional seconds to add that and the smile is free. So, you know, if you can incorporate those things and it helps you to have a better day and it may, you know, help that person uh, feel more comfortable in your facility, then it may be worth the try. And that's something you can do with yourself. And no one has to know that you're kind of testing out like, hey, maybe I should take this approach. Maybe I should take, you know, this approach on the phone or this approach when I'm um, checking in patients. And yep, always try something new when you do your greetings. You know, how may I help you today? What can I do for you? You know, whatever works, you know, and especially knowing your specific office and their needs, you're going to know what what is better to say. You know, if you just say your name and this is so-and-so's office and you end it there, there might be an awkward silence. So ask the question, you know, so that you can keep a good flow and also your tone. How you speak to people really does matter, especially over the phone, because they can't see you. They don't know that you have three people on hold. They don't know that there's two other people standing in front of you and you're by yourself today because your coworker is sick. So you know, your tone and how you say what you say to those that you're speaking to on the phone can maybe change the energy behind the conversation that the amount of information they give you because they feel more comfortable speaking to you. And, you know, there's just a small little level of trust so they can just say, hi, I'm calling for X, Y, and Z instead of hi, you know, what? can I speak to a nurse? Because I was wondering, they may be able to get straight to the point with you because you sound like you're ready to receive that information from them. And it just will shorten, you know, any confusion and the back and forth. So being just straightforward, but also pleasant should help your customer service flow in your office. So hopefully those are some helpful tips and you try some different things, especially if you've had any complaints recently about how you may have interacted with someone. You know, we never like to hear that, but sometimes we're so focused on getting our job done and doing it right. We're not always concerned with providing a positive level of customer service and 
just providing a, a higher level of service. You know, we sometimes you're more invested in the task as a result of how that the person is receiving you, how you're receiving that person and the general idea of how the interaction should go. So you always want to make sure you're doing your best to keep track of all of that. And every now and again, you know, check in with yourself to make sure you're not being overwhelmed and even rude because it happens. You know, you just want to make sure you're providing whatever level of service your office is, is expecting you to provide at that front desk. Okay, so I just want to also shout out pro trainings. We always provide you guys with an affiliate link for pro trainings because there are some discounts for your life support if you haven't done your BLS. They have other courses as well, including HIPAA and uh, pet first aid. So I'll have that linked in the show notes as well as on our website. It's always available as well as Zealua. If you need some new glasses, we have an affiliate link there that will be listed within the podcast as well as on the website. So you can get a, a discount and see some pretty cool frames. So today I always like to give a little funny so the story, it's actually a quick excerpt, comes today from BoredPanda.com. And it's from a Dr. Travis Stork. It says, here, says the nurse, handing the patient a urine specimen container. The bathroom is over there. A few minutes later, the patient comes out of the bathroom. Thanks, he says, returning the empty container. But there was a toilet in there, so I didn't need this after all. I'm sure some of you have had that experience trying to have a patient leave a sample. So hopefully that made you smile a bit. Unfortunately, we have to be extremely specific when you are asking something of your patients or clients coming into your office so that they know exactly what you need from them. So I also like to give some information, whether it's an excerpt from our book or a definition to explain something related to healthcare. So one thing that comes up often is the Stark Law, which is basically the has to do with physician self-referral. So I'm going to read a little information about that. This comes from CMS.gov, which you can look up and find more information on your own search there. So Section 1877 of the Social Security Act, also known as the Physician Self-Referral Law and commonly referred to as the Stark Law. What it does is prohibits a physician from making referrals for certain designated health services payable by Medicare to an entity with which he or she or an immediate family member has a financial relationship, ownership, investment, or compensation, unless an exception applies. It also prohibits the entity from presenting or causing to be presented claims to Medicare or billing another individual entity or third-party payer for those referred services. And lastly, it establishes a number of specific exceptions and grants the secretary the authority to create regulatory exceptions for financial relationships that do not pose a risk of program or patient abuse. So you can read more about the Stark Law on CMS.gov. There are tons of information about this. The actual Social Security Act was enacted in 1989. And so all of these additional sections, you know, were added throughout the years. So this is a definitely a newer portion of it. I believe it was 2010. That looks like when the actual Stark Law and self-referral disclosure information was added to the Social Security Act. So if you want more information on that, feel free to look it up. And I hope everyone has a wonderful, wonderful summer. I hope you are finding time to spend with your family. 
If you are interested in the Medical Receptionist Network's success course, we are having a sale right now. So you can visit the website, medicalreceptionistnetwork.com. If you have any questions for me, please feel free to send us an email or contact us via the website. If you would like to be interviewed on the podcast, again, please contact us directly and you can visit medicalreceptionistnetwork.com. Thank you so much for listening to episode 16. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Medical Receptionist Network podcast show. Don't forget to visit our website, medicalreceptionistnetwork.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. If you're looking for a great resource for medical receptionists, make sure you grab your copy of the Medical Receptionist Handbook to Success available on Amazon. Lastly, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, please find us on your favorite podcast player and subscribe today. Until next time, keep being amazing.